Galatians chapter 4, if you'll turn there. If you're visiting with us, we go through the books of the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We've gone as far as verse 10. I'm going to back up and read at verse 9. We'll go through verse 21 of Galatians chapter 4. Galatians right after Paul's letters to the Corinthians, first and second Corinthians, and you have Galatians. Fourth chapter, we'll begin reading at verse 9. And let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can be here. Lord, that, that song to you that we sang, I need thee every hour. We do need you every hour. We need you at this time of the year. We need you every day. And I pray that, Lord, that as we are here this morning, that we would be able to, Lord, hear from you. We would be ones that are teachable. To remember to turn our ringers off our phones. Lord, to, to just really receive from you and this gospel of, of grace that allows us to have a status of adoption, sons and daughters of the living God through faith in Jesus Christ. That we would be free from those things that will cause us to be in bondage and doesn't bring life. So I pray that you would just touch our hearts. And Lord, may we leave this place just marveling at your incredible grace. That, that Lord, that you've given to us through faith. The unmerited, unearned favor of God. So Lord, we give this time to you in the study of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Most scholars uh, agree that Paul would write um, to the Galatians his first epistle that is recorded in the New Testament. Now remember that an epistle is a letter and Paul, after his first missionary journey that you read in Acts chapter 13 and 14, specifically chapter 14, he establishes those churches of Galatia, Lystra, Derbe, Iconium. And he would go back to Antioch of Syria and it is believed at that time, about 48 AD, that he would write a letter to the Christians of Galatia. And the reason that he was doing that is because he was very concerned for the Christians there in that area, the Gentile believers, because they had been receiving those who were known as Judaizers. And I want to remind you that, once again, the Judaizers were a sect of Jewish Christians who were not willing to accept the teachings and the message of Paul the Apostle. They were not receiving the, the message of the gospel of grace, which states that we are justified before God by our faith in Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, we've already read that the theme of the book of Galatians, Paul, taken from the Old Testament book of Habakkuk, that the just shall live by faith. And as he's writing to them, the legalists, they had come in behind Paul's ministry and they were saying that those Gentile believers, those Christians, must come to God through Judaism and the keeping of the law, and they must be circumcised. So the Judaizers, as they did that, Paul establishing them in the gospel initially, as we continue reading here, remember the outline of the book of Galatians is chapters 1 and 2. He is uh, defending the gospel of grace. He says that this is not made up by me. It came to me by revelation of Jesus Christ. And then in chapters 3 and 4 here that we're going through, that he is defining the gospel of grace. He is once again taking them step by step through the gospel of grace to get established in the truth of the gospel. Always remember there's, always, there's only one gospel. There's not two gospels. 
There's one gospel, and he says you're turning away from that gospel to another, uh, another false teaching that the Judaizers had been bringing to the Christians there of Galatia. So as he continues in this chapter, what we're going to see is he's going to get personal. He really cares for the Christians. He writes some personal notes here. He says, you remember that when I first came to you, how you received me. Even though I was beat up, I was bloodied, I, I had malaria, you received me with joy and the message that I brought to you, the message of the gospel. And we ended at verse 9 where he says, why are you turning back to the weak and beggarly elements that won't save you? And then as we continue on, he's going to say, have I now become your enemy because I labor for you in bringing the gospel because I care for you? And these legalists, they court you, they're zealous towards you, but it's not for your good. So the legalists, their visit to the churches of Galatia after Paul's ministry there would undermine the gospel that he had brought to them and put them into a works relationship with God. And Paul in this epistle, he's making it very clear that the message of the Judaizers is false. It is a false gospel that you Galatian believers are turning to, and they're discrediting me, who at one time you received the true gospel with joy, and know this, that the law cannot and will not bring life. It only condemns. He's using the Old Testament to back up what he is, is giving them, the gospel of grace. The law is a curse to all. He quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 27. There is a purpose of the law, as we have seen in the previous chapter, and that was to be a schoolmaster, a tutor to bring us to Jesus Christ. The law has done its work. The law doesn't bring life. It's a guardian the law, there's nothing wrong with it. It's good. The law is perfect, the psalmist writes in Psalm 19, but we're not. We can't keep it. And it's a tutor to bring us to Jesus Christ that we might be justified by faith. You have liberty and freedom in Christ. You have life in Christ. Why would you put yourselves under, back under the law, which brings death? So now as we pick up our text here in the chapter, we're going to see that Paul is intensifying his plea with the Galatian Christians to walk in the liberty that they have in Christ Jesus. Uh, I want to read to you once again where we ended last week in chapter 4, verse 9 of Galatians. But now after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid for you, lest I have labor for you in vain. So the false teachers that were among the, the Christians there in Galatia had told them that they must observe certain days, months. You must observe the Mosaic calendar. Days would be the weekly Sabbath. Months would be the new moons. Seasons refers to festivals such as Passover, Pentecost, the Feast of Tabernacles, those three major feasts that they were to celebrate that we have recorded in the Old Testament. The years would be the sabbatical years, jubilee years, and they thought they had to put themselves under these observances that would gain their approval with God. That would bring justification to them. Now, a couple verses that are very important that you might want to write down. One is in Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. We are told, as the apostle writes, let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath. And the reason I want you to note these verses because maybe during this season there's someone who's going to say that why don't you observe the Sabbath or why don't you, why do you celebrate Christmas? 
Romans chapter 14, verse 5, that one person esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike, let each be convinced in his own mind. He goes on to say in verse 6 of Romans chapter 14, that he who observes the day observes it to the Lord. And he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. And he who eats, eats to the Lord. And he who gives God thanks, he does um, to the Lord, and he who does not eat to the Lord does not eat and gives God thanks. For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. In other words, if you want to, to worship on Saturday on the Sabbath, then worship on Saturday. I'm one that I esteem every day alike. I think every day is a day for us as Christians to meet together, to come together, to worship the Lord together, and we have opportunity to do that in our liberty and in our freedom in Christ. But there are those who will come along and say, you have to observe the Sabbath. And if you don't observe the Sabbath, you're not really a Christian or you're not saved. And that's what Paul is talking about here in this context. We know that that as Paul would write also in the book of Colossians chapter 2, let no one judge you in food or drink regarding the festival, new moon or Sabbath. He would go on to say, which are just a shadow of the reality. Now, the reality is Jesus Christ. The reality is him. So this morning, my wife coming across the parking lot, there was a shadow that she cast. There was a little bit of sun out there. I didn't meet her and get on the ground and start hugging the shadow. The reality is standing right there, my wife, to greet her. And that's what Paul is saying. Listen, Jesus is our Sabbath rest. And as we look at the Old Testament, we look at the feasts and festivals and the sacrifices, it all speaks of Jesus. Jesus, when he was talking to the religious leaders in John's gospel, he would say that you search the scriptures and in them you think you have eternal life. But these are they which speak of me. So in other words, that the Sabbath, he's our Sabbath rest, the Passover. Well, he's our Passover lamb. And there are Christians that will do a Seder, and they, they look at the Passover, but how it relates to how Jesus came, and now he fulfills Passover. We know that all those things of the Old Testament, it speaks of Jesus, it points to Jesus, it's all fulfilled by Jesus, and that's what Paul was saying. So if you want to observe a certain day, then go ahead and observe it. If you don't want to celebrate Christmas, then don't celebrate Christmas, if that's your conviction. But there are those who will come along and say, you're a pagan church. I had one just a week ago. Because you guys celebrate Christmas and you have a Christmas tree, you know, up in your, your, your church and all of this. And, you know, it's like, no, that's being yoked to legalism. He said, don't go back to the weak and beggarly elements. That's an interesting verse as he ties it into verse 10 here. That is, why would you go back to that which is going to put you in bondage? That word weak here in verse 9 of chapter 4, it's also used in Acts chapter 4, verse 9, speaking of that man who couldn't walk there at the beautiful gate. He was healed by John and Peter. In the King James, it's translated, he was helpless. It's used in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The, the New King James, I believe, uses the word feeble. The same word. Matthew chapter 25 uses the word speaking of the sick. Now, beggarly is used in Luke chapter 16. When Jesus gives that account of Lazarus that is begging to eat the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table along with the dogs. So that's our word there. Why are you trying to, to put yourself under that? Yoke yourself to that. 
Why would you go back under those things of observing days and the law that will bring bondage to you? We can look at those things. And sometimes when I go through the book of Galatians, there will be those who say, well, you don't, you don't believe in the Old Testament. We believe in all the scripture from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21. And we are a church, probably one of the few churches, and I don't say this boasting at all, but I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God's word. We've gone from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21 twice since I've been here. All the books of the Bible. All scripture is god brief and it is profitable. So I want you to have a proper context of what is being said here. But if we put ourselves under the yoke of those things to earn salvation or get approval of God or to have right standing with God, then we're putting ourselves under or yoking ourselves to something that is not going to bring life. It is through Christ alone. We don't trust in what we can do to make ourselves right before God. We trust in what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross of Calvary. Will you always remember that you have the faith of a child of God, a son and daughter of God, not of a servant of the law? And that's why the apostle here in this plea that intensifies, he says, I'm afraid for you. I'm afraid that you're turning away from the gospel that I gave to you and, and you're in bondage and enslaved to the law now when the Lord has set us free from that. I'm afraid for you, lest I labor for you in vain. That word labor means to labor to the point of exhaustion. Any of us that are parents, we can feel the heart of the apostle, right? You raise your kids in the ways of the Lord. Train them in the ways of the Lord. You pray for them. And as they grow up, you just continue to labor. Even when they become adults, you do. You want them to do well in the things of the Lord. You want them to do well in life. You always want to be there to help them and to encourage them and to build them up. That never stops as a parent. You who are maybe perhaps an owner of a business or a supervisor, you're training somebody. and You labor to, to help them to do well in their job. As a pastor, I can feel the heart of Paul. Because over the years, there have been those who have come here that have gotten saved. They're excited about the Lord. I remember one couple in particularly, and, and they, they uh, officiated their wedding. There was a lot of healing in their lives. Uh, they were growing in the Lord. They were growing for a number of years. They began to serve the Lord, and all of a sudden, they got caught up and wrapped up to somebody who said, Hey, you've got to observe the Sabbath. And they're coming to me saying, why don't we observe the Sabbath? Why aren't we doing it? We need to worship on Saturday. You're not a real church. And they isolated themselves from us. And eventually they moved to another state to where they isolated themselves from everybody else because they got involved in other stuff, that very legalistic kind of thing, all in desire to gain approval before God. And it was sad to watch it happen. And perhaps you've had that happen to you in somebody that you knew personally, a family member, a friend, somebody that you knew that you were in fellowship with and you were enjoying the Lord with and growing in the Lord. And all of a sudden they were told that they have to observe a certain day or they have to do this act or put themselves under the yoke of legalism to really be a Christian to be saved. And the fellowship is broken, severed, strained. I had somebody here that helped us start the church, and he was a real blessing to me and a real help to me. And he got all caught up in that as well, that you have to earn God's love. You have to earn his approval. And 
he was one that got wrapped up into that thing and it, it was sad to see, see it happen, putting himself under the yoke of legalism. I'm still saddened by it. So Paul's saying, I labor for you. I'm afraid for you guys as I bring the gospel of grace. And he was one that did labor for them and coming to them. And in verse 12, brethren, I urge you to become like me, for I became like you. You have not injured me at all. What does Paul mean when he says to become like me? Paul had already written to them that he was one that put himself under the slavery of the law. As a Pharisee, when he was writing to the church at Philippi, he writes concerning righteousness, which is the law. I was blameless at one time. He's writing, saying to them, don't have confidence in the flesh. If anybody had you know, confidence in the flesh, it was me because I was blameless. And I was a Pharisee of Pharisee. I was of the tribe of Benjamin. And he would go on to say, but I count all those things as lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord. All my righteousness and my works and keeping of law. He said that that's all counted as loss to know him, to be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Jesus Christ, the righteousness, which is from God by faith. And Paul here says, be like me in that, be free from the law, continue in faith in Christ. And here's kind of the irony here. Paul was freed from the law after his conversion. The Gentile believers were putting themselves under the law after their conversion. And he states that you have not injured me at all. He isn't speaking of somebody who's come up and, you know, really caused harm to them physically. He, he, he's saying, I have a concern for you guys. I'm writing this letter of a heart of a true servant and a pastor. He's responding in love, not in anger. And verse 13, as we continue to read, for you know that because of physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at first. In my trial, which was in my flesh, you did not despise or reject, but you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. What then was the blessing you enjoyed? For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. So we know that as he's writing about when I first came to you, that I was received by you. You received me with great joy. And we know, reading from Acts chapter 13 and 14, he came to Pamphylia after Cyprus. It was difficult. Pamphylia was low-lying, and there was a problem with malaria there. So it was interesting here that he says, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. At the end of the epistle, he's going to write, look what large letters I write to you. So there's an indication that perhaps he had malaria, this eye disease. There's a, a tradition of, of description of Paul that he had runny eyes. And he's saying, you would have plucked them out to give to me. You received me because that physical infirmity didn't really matter. Or he could be talking about when he first came into that area of Galatia, he went to Lystra, and he was stoned and left for dead. They drug him out of the city, probably going to throw him into the garbage heap there. And then he got up and he went back into the city and he gave the gospel to them. You didn't reject me because of my, my physical infirmities. Uh, being stoned and left for dead, you'd be pretty beat up and scarred up, right? In Second Corinthians, he writes about the thorn in the flesh. He prayed for healing. He doesn't say what it was. But the Lord would say, my grace is sufficient. When I came to you, you received me. You didn't despise my physical infirmity. Now, the reason he's writing that is because there are some Jews and a lot of Greeks in the Greek culture 
a physical infirmity would be regarded as some kind of divine punishment or that they were inferior. Paul, he had to deal with that with the Corinthian church. The Corinthians were into the Greek culture. There were the most eminent apostles that came in behind Paul after he established that church, and they were putting Paul down. They were boasting in their oratory skills. The Corinthians were really into that, and their smooth you know, speech. And Paul, he writes to them, when I first came to you, I didn't come in human wisdom. I came in a demonstration of power of the Holy Spirit. I came as weak. I came to you with much fear and trembling. And I came with the message of preaching Jesus Christ and him crucified. He made tents. He labored for them. He loved them. And he would say to them, the more that I love you guys, the less I am loved by you. And those most eminent apostles that were there, Paul says that they're false apostles. And they were saying, don't listen to Paul. Look, he's wearing those, those tent-making clothes. His speech is contemptible. And there's indication that perhaps that Paul, did he have a little bit of stuttering? I don't, I don't know. He, he didn't have excellence of speech, as he said, when he first came to them. But he came with that message of the gospel. They received him. The church began to grow. And then the most excellent uh, or most eminent apostles, as they called themselves, and again, Paul said they're false apostles, said, don't listen to Paul. Speech contemptible. Kind of reminds me a little bit of Moses in the Old Testament. When Moses was called to go and free the children of Israel out of Egypt, Moses says, I can't go. You know, I stutter. And the Lord said, okay, Aaron will be your mouthpiece. That didn't last very long. He chooses the foolish and weak things of the world. He chooses the weak and foolish things of the world. I'm very grateful that we don't have to focus on, you know, just great oratory skill. Listen, our message needs to be one that is clear of intelligence. I am very grateful for those who articulate themselves very, very well. But the thing is, Paul was saying that I came with a message of truth. You embraced that. You received me as one who was an angel of Christ Jesus himself. I think this is a little side note. This may not be for anyone, maybe for me, but ministers of the gospel need to be careful that they don't elevate themselves in just personal appearance and, and trying to be smooth talking and speech and using certain words and oratory skills. Listen, I want to make the message clear. I want to be able to give you God's word, but it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And just focus on personal appearances and being dynamic and funny and all of that. God has called me to give you the truth of the gospel, Jesus Christ and him crucified, and I need him to help me with that message. So he's writing about that in his personal notes, and he goes on, he says, Have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? So he's given indication that they were no longer receiving him with joy. Have I become your enemy because I give you the truth? They were not only turning away from the message of the gospel of grace, but from the one who brought them that message. And again, they, they were holding him out at arm's length. And perhaps you've experienced that as well in your own personal life. There's somebody that, that yoked himself with legalism or got involved with a cult or whatever the case may be, and they no longer receive you. 
And they, they no longer want to have fellowship with you because you're giving them the truth. You're giving them the truth of God's word. And, you know, that can happen to, to so many of us. And again, we are to give them truth. We are to give them the truth of what the scripture says and let them be established in that truth. But he goes on, and as he is speaking of that, he says in verse 17, they zealously court you, these legalists, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you that you may be zealous for them. But it is good to be zealous in a good thing always, and not only when I am present with you. So these Judaizers that came behind Paul's ministry to them, he writes, they zealously court you, but it's not for good. They're using flattery to win you over and to make you believers, you Gentile believers, feel inferior spiritually. And we care about you. So you think it's by faith alone. It's not by faith alone. If you really want to be a Christian, if you really want to be saved and justified before God, if you really want to have the approval of God, you need to be circumcised. You need to observe these days. You need to yoke yourself to to the law of Moses is what you need to do. You need to trust in those things. And that's a tactic of the cults. Do you know that? Maybe you run into that group that, that, um, that is you're in Walmart or in Starbucks or in King Super. They're very aggressive. And um, Missionary Church of God, a Korean cult that that they're very, very zealous. They're very, very aggressive. They'll tell you, well, that's fine what you believe, but there's more to it. The Mormons, you know, riding, they'll ride their bikes up to you. We have another gospel. The Jehovah Witnesses knocking on your door. There's so many new cults and doctrines and false gospels out there that they are very zealous and they will come and they will one of the ways that they appeal to you is that you love God you want the approval of God this is what you have to do this is what you have to do here's another gospel here here's the real meaning of of salvation and they get you neutral to where they appeal to where you know your spirituality they want to win you over and then alienate you from the true gospel message. And here he's saying that's what was taking place. They want to exclude you. It literally means to lock up. They will court you. They'll wow you. They'll be zealous toward you. But once they've alienated you from the gospel, then you're going to find yourself in bondage. And then they will, as he adds, they will turn and demand that the believers serve them. Interesting, he writes in 2 Corinthians to those most eminent apostles that had come, that they were putting the believers under bondage. They rule over you. Paul writes, we're not here to rule over you. We're here to be helpers of your joy. And he even gave indication in 2 Corinthians that they were punching the believers in the mouth. You put up with them. They, they punch you. And, and they want you to serve them. They are so zealous, but it's not for your good. So in this appeal here, my little children, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you, I would like to be present with you now and to change my tone, for I have doubts about you. So Paul using, he's not angry, he's using a term of affection. He's not saying you're like a bunch of little children. He likens himself to a mother who gave spiritual birth to the Galatians. He had experienced these labor pains, and he's using these powerful metaphors 
to bring out the truth to them. He had experienced the labor pains in their birth to salvation, being born again. He says, I am once again in travail again from their deliverance from the false teachers until Christ is found in you. That is, Christ is working in you and through you by faith. Just letting Jesus do that marvelous work through the work of the Spirit. Being rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, because the just will live by faith. And it's something that will never happen if you put yourself or yoke yourself to legalism or to the law. And then he specifically is going to be speaking to those who put themselves under the laws. We continue in verse 21, and this is where we're going to end this morning. That tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? To you who are living under the law as the basis of your relationship with God. I'm going to give you another illustration from Abraham. We'll see that next week when we pick it up. Now, you recall in the previous chapter that Paul used Abraham as an illustration of grace. The one who believed God, Genesis chapter 15, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. He received the promise, uh, and you who are of faith are sons of Abraham. Your descendants, true descendants of Abraham. And Paul, in this making this contrast between the law and grace, he's going to go back to Abraham when we pick it up next week, and he's going to use Abraham as an illustration, the, the son born to a bondwoman, the, the son born to a free woman. So Paul's really laboring to press this point to those who are trusting the law for justification, who desire to be under the law. Do you not hear the law as he writes here? Now, people can desire to put themselves under the law, yoke themselves to legalism, to be justified, to get the approval of God, earn the love of God, and they will do it for a number of reasons. Number one, they do it because they feel like they have to perform. I have to earn or merit salvation, God's love, the approval of God. And oftentimes, those who do that, they have this unhealthy you know, terror of God. We are told that we have the fear of the Lord. But it doesn't mean that we picture God as a mean old man up in heaven with a long beard and the lightning bolts on his side, leaning over the banister of heaven and saying, all right, I'm going to get that guy. Bang, you know. And, and they have this unhealthy picture of God in the heart of God. And so I may be doing well, as they focus on their performance. Uh, I'm keeping this rule, this law, this, this thing. And if they're not doing well, if they struggle or fail, which you all eventually will do, it's like a roller coaster, spiritually, up and down. Well, I did well this week, but, you know, last week before that I didn't. And I've had people in my office, and they've told me, I don't know if I'm saved. I don't know if I'm saved because I'm, I'm wrestling with this. I'm struggling with this. I still wrestle in the flesh in this area. We'll talk about more of that when we get into chapters 5 and 6, that we're to walk in the Spirit. We won't fulfill the desires of the flesh. But we do have this battle with the flesh, don't we? And I want you to remember this. Charles Spurgeon said something that really freed me up. He said, dead men don't wrestle. Will you remember that? Dead men don't wrestle. You're alive. You're alive in Christ. And when there is conviction that comes from the Holy Spirit, that's a good thing. 
Do you know that? When the Lord is telling you you need to repent, turn to Christ, call out to him, be forgiven. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And we are to turn to him and call out to him. But if you just base your relationship with the Lord on performance, you'll be up and down and up and down and up and down. Conviction comes from the Holy Spirit to draw you to the Lord. Always remember that. It is condemnation that comes from who? The enemy. And he will condemn you, accusing you day and night, Revelation chapter 12, telling you you're a spiritual waste. You're no good. You're not really a Christian. God's not going to forgive you. He's disgusted with you. And I lived a number of years in that way, thinking that I could never really get the approval of God. He must be so disappointed in me. I'm not what I could be and what I should be. And when I realize my standing in Christ because of his love and what he's done for me, that there is therefore now no condemnation that is in Christ. There is therefore now, I have that underlined in my Bible, now means Today, this morning, right now. To those who are in Christ Jesus. Conviction is a good thing. Dead men don't wrestle. And maybe you're wrestling. Maybe you're saying this is a struggle. And Lord, help me with it. You know, Jacob wrestled with the Lord all night long. What's your name? Jacob. Heel snatcher. Deceiver. Lord touches his hip. Comes out of socket. It's Jacob that said, I won't let you go till you bless me, Lord. A lot of times people have that picture of, you know, Jacob's got the Lord in a headlock or something, you know. It is through the brokenness of the Lord working in you as you wrestle with the Lord. You're no longer going to be called Jacob. You're going to be called Israel, which means governed by God. And maybe you're here today and you're wrestling. And the Lord, he wants to touch you. And in the brokenness of what it is that you go through in the struggles, He wants to bring you to the point of being called Israel, governed by God. It says that Jacob had to lean on a cane because he walked with a limp. Sometimes, you know, people say, that church over at Calvary Chapel is just a bunch of, you know, somebody said that we're a church of hippies, you know. It's like, really? Is there any, any more hippies? There's old hippies, but... We do have a lot of people that are walking with a limp. But you see, Jacob had to lean on that cane as he walked, just as we lean on the Lord. Okay? You're wrestling with the Lord, he's going to win. And he wants to touch you deeply. He loves you. And he desires for you to be yoked to him. As he cried out from that hillside, come to me all of you who are weary and heavy laden. Maybe you're wearied 
Maybe you're heavy laden. Maybe you just say, Lord, I, I just don't know. You must be so disappointed in me. He says, listen, I'm still doing a work in you and through you. Trust in me. Look to me. So sometimes people will yoke themselves to legalism, trying to gain that approval, focus on the performance, and grace focuses not on me, but on Jesus and what he's done for me. Sometimes they'll yoke themselves to legalism because I can then spiritually elevate myself because I've kept the laws, the rules, regulations, whatever, I'm better than others, and it becomes those other Christians. Those other Christians, I've been there as well. Lord, don't you see those other Christians? Don't you see that other church? He says, Jeff, yes, I do see them. I'm very much aware of them. So I'm going to tell you this. You don't know as much as you think you do. So this is what I want you to do. You love them. Let me take care of the judging, directing, working in their lives. You give the message of the gospel, okay? But I'm aware of them. And I understand that he has his believers, his, his people, as Paul wrote to Timothy, the Lord knows who are his. All over the city, all over the state, all over the world. They go to different churches that belong to the body of Christ. And so I never dare want to say, look at those people, those Christians over there. There may be some churches that have some problems. Yeah, we can point out those things that are not true, that take away from the gospel and the truth of God's word. Of course we can. We're to test the spirits. I know that. But may we never have a boastful attitude of, I'm the spiritual one. We're the serious Christians over here. And may we never come thirdly to taking the credit and glory for our salvation because I've earned it. And if we ever come to that mindset, then what we are saying, and Paul states it here already in the book of Galatians we saw in chapter 2, then Christ died in vain. To think that, that I could stand before a holy, righteous God who knows everything about me. Every thought I ever thunk. Every action I ever did. And the boast, look what I did, Lord. I earned this. How dare I do that? To say what Jesus cried from the cross, it is finished, is not true. But I'm very grateful because he who is able to keep you from stumbling will present you faultless before his presence with exceeding joy. My favorite verse in all of the Bible, and I think about myself being faultless. I am so far from that. But when I do stand before the Lord, I will not stand alone. I have an advocate. Jesus Christ the righteous, he's going to stand with me. And the Father and the Son are going to rejoice in the grace of God that we're going to marvel at for all eternity. And he's going to rejoice over you. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you that we can be free in Christ. We come to you not in our perfection because we can't. 
we come to you, one thing you want is our hearts to love you, to walk with you. A work of the Spirit is we're born again by the Spirit of God. That's why we have to be born again. We don't have to yoke ourselves to legalism, put ourselves under the law. We don't have to focus on performance, but what Christ has done for us. And knowing that the law can be summed up, as Paul has already stated, in one word, love. Loving you. Loving others. Walking with you. Knowing you. And I thank you that we won't stand alone when we stand before you. That our Lord will be there. Who paid the price. Who suffered in ways we can't imagine. And declared it is finished and rose from the grave and now we have a living hope. I pray for anyone who's here that you've never come to Christ. He is your salvation. There is none other. The Bible says repent. Turn direction. Quit going the way you're going and repent. Confess your sins. And call out to him for forgiveness and right relationship with the Father and the hope of eternal life. Recognizing your need to be forgiven because you're a sinner. That's why Jesus came to die for you. He made atonement for your sins upon himself on that cross as he suffered for you. And you can come today. The message is always to come. Call out to him. You can pray sincerely where you are that I come to you, Lord. I come to you, Jesus. I am a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. I turn to you for salvation, forgiveness. Be my personal Lord and Savior. I believe you're alive. You rose from the grave. And you're the Son of God who died for me. And I thank you for this new beginning that I now have the adoption as a son or as a daughter, not as a slave. Thank you for saving me, for all of us. Lord, you'd be more real to us than ever before. Living in our hearts, Christ living in us. Help those who are wrestling. We have freedom. Not to sin, but freedom from the power of sin. Freedom to live for you. to become Israel governed by you in every area of our lives. Pray you bless everyone here as we go our way. Being a light to others. Walking in the power of the Holy Spirit.